0: So if I was starting today as a new solo, I would be entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial aspect.
1: To have to change the way like they're practicing. Leader they have help young lawyers.
0: Starting a small firm. What, what it means guys. to be Make fulfilled. Make it
1: easy to work with your clients.
0: New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap, making
1: that leap. Hi, and welcome to another episode of New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I am your host, Adriana Linares. I'm a legal technology trainer and consultant. And in case you're new here, I like to talk about technology, practice management, being efficient, um, services, tools, and such for lawyers. A lot of times we focus on solo and small firm, but I think the topics that I cover and the guests that I often have on can go way beyond that. I've been hosting this show, I think, since about 2014. And back in... April of 2020, I did a show called Tips and Tools for Surviving the Shift to Remote Work. This was obviously a pandemic-inspired episode, and my guest at that time was Brett Burney. Brett is back, and Brett is back because I ran into him at Legal Tech in New York, which is a technology conference. Kind of, I always say it's geared toward the chiefs. If your firm is big enough to have a chief security officer, a chief information officer, then you're probably going to go to Legal Tech New York. But I don't see a lot of solos and smalls in there other than, or even mid midsize firms other than in the um, exhibit hall. And that's where I ran into Brett. And Brett is my e-discovery guru. And we got to talking. I said, you know, you should come on to New Solo and we can talk about helping attorneys figure out how to run cases that require e-discovery on a solo small firm budget. So Brett Burney is here today and I'm very grateful for his time. Hey, Brett.
0: Hey, Adriana, it is great to be back with you. And th- yeah, I always I always enjoy running into you whatever conference that we're at. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'll just make a bold statement right out of the gate here. Please do, um, we love those if, if, you're listening, if you're listening now and you heard the word e-discovery and you're ready to uh, to turn it off, can I just encourage you to stay on for a little bit? Because I get this all the time, people say, well, I, I, you don't understand. I'm a small firm. I, you know, I, I'm not at a large firm. I don't do this e-discovery stuff. And my response is you are doing e-discovery. Right. Everything we deal with today, if you are litigating, you are dealing with electronic discovery. I, I always ask people like, can you litigate without e-discovery? And my next question, Adriana is, well, can you practice law today without a mobile phone or without email? And really, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Yeah, you can practice law without having a mobile phone, without having an email, but you're probably not going to be a very effective lawyer today, right? And the same way with e-discovery. I just want to encourage everyone because I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, Adriana. That good. I just want people to know, like, you are dealing with electronic discovery if you're litigating today. Now, you may choose to print those electronic files Ooh, to paper or to PDF. You may choose to do that, but the original file that you're dealing with is electronic. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't want to step on the toes here, Adriana. you First of all, this I'm so show. excited how long you've been doing this show. I love this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And it's just great. I, I get so passionate talking about this because there are ways that you can successfully navigate the e-discovery uh, troubled waters of today, even if you're not at a large firm with like, you know, five full-time litigation support personnel. Like there are tools out there for everyone.
1: And I want to say, Brett, make sure you remind me to tell everyone about just this morning I had a call with an attorney looking to get all of her emails that uh-huh. she had in her inbox to opposing counsel in a simple way. And we just used mm. Adobe Acrobat So and turned it into—it yeah. was so easy. She couldn't believe it. So I don't want to yeah. get ahead of ourselves when we're talking tools, but make sure we cover that. Maybe yeah. you were going to, but that's important. But wait, before we go Absolutely. any further, okay, I okay. want you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself <laughs> because you are an e-discovery consultant, a technology consultant. You have a podcast of your own, which uh, we're going to yeah, talk I, about.
0: Okay. And
1: you were an attorney like me who just yeah. talks yeah. the talk but doesn't walk the walk. <laughs>
0: I went to law school, uh, well, many 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 years ago. W- way longer than you've been doing your podcast and now. I'm so old, it's it's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> I I went to law school really because I wanted to I wanted to understand how technology was going to impact the practice of law, both from like a a a practice aspect, right, as well as even a substantive aspect. So, I ended up going to the University of Dayton School of Law, which is where Lexis is based, by the way. Mm. And at the time, there was a company there that they, they sponsored a program in law and technology. Now, again, this is many years ago. Many law schools have these programs huh. today. But back then, I was like, okay, you know, that's what I want to better understand. And it was... I mean this gives this dates me now but it was the time when you know Napster was involved and MP3 Whoa. files and the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and I just ate all that stuff up because that's exactly what I wanted to better understand how how law was going to be impacted or you know how technology was going to change like what does it mean for jurisdiction when you know it's an internet crime or something or how does copyright law and and and, and trademark law apply on the internet all those questions just really fascinated me and then I just found myself in a large law firm where I was a practice support manager. I was working as practice support and, and did all kinds of things like the mobile devices. And, you know, we did practice specific software like immigration tracker, mm-hmm. and, you know, intellectual property software and real estate closing binders on PDFs, all that kind of stuff I love. But I ended up finding this little niche in electronic discovery, which, which today lets me successfully straddle the worlds of like the technology side, but as well as there's such a growing body of substantive law today when it, uh, around, you know, e-discovery and sanctions aspects and, you know, duty of preservation, all that kind of stuff that comes with that. So that's just where, that's the little, that's the little corner of my world that I like to dance in.
1: You know, you just moved from technology geek to <laughs> technology and law nerd <laughs> In my book, because yeah, that is it. crazy that that's I'll why you went it. to yeah. law school. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm not the, although that's very inspirational. And, you know, I I tell young attorneys or people who are thinking about law school all the time, go to law school. It's, it's just amazing credential to have. And you learn so much. You learn to think in a different way. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to be a practicing attorney, that's pencil right. pushing and having- that lifestyle that can be stressful. There's so many ways you can use a law degree. So I love hearing that. That's yeah. a whole nother yeah. episode. And let's just tell everybody a little bit more about you. You have a consulting company, you work yes. with um, closely with an e-discovery company that I happen to like a lot. And you have a podcast for with another <laughs> attorney, Jeff Richardson, which I'm sure yes. everyone might know about because he's had his blog longer yeah. than any of us have had yeah. podcasts and blogs. And you guys specialize on uh, talking about Macs and tools, services, yeah, software. So tell us a little bit real oh, quick about goodness. your business wow. and and yeah. the podcast.
0: So, so much fun stuff. Thank you. So, yeah, so the consulting side, it's probably split between 50-50 between law firms, usually smaller and mid-sized mm-hmm. and smaller law firms and uh, even uh, corporate uh, in-house departments. So, you know, I work with a lot of companies and, you know, even from like a, document retention policies, records management, you know, even like pre- preparing, you know, almost like more proactive, right? That's the proactive work. Before mm. it hits the fan as it were and before they get involved in litigation. Most of my work with law firms are usually is usually reactive, right? Something's already happened and they just need some help in kind of navigating some e-discovery questions and issues there. I've pretty much always been on my own as an independent consultant for many, many years. But I've worked with a large number of companies uh, in the e-discovery space, you know, both the large companies like Relativity, all the way down to the smaller companies. There's a whole uh, tier to today of like uh, Everlaw and uh, and Logical and Disco. And Next Point is a company that that I've known for a long time. I've known the CEO there when he started back in 2001. Mm-hmm. He started uh, a platform because he was a paralegal and he wanted to to have a better way to manage transcripts and even trial presentation. And eventually he started uh, hosting databases for electronic discovery. And so I I work with him now as the, their e-law evangelist, but really that means I get to go on podcasts like this or do a lot of webinars, a lot of blog posts, you know, content just to, and really we like, we love to focus even on that mid-sized and smaller law firms that many times get overlooked in sort of the e-discovery world. Uh, we like just to be able to provide resources on what do you do if you are, re- if you receive one humongous PDF file that represents, you know, 83 documents, like how, if that gets produced to you, how do you handle that? What do you do when you've got to produce emails? Just like you said, mm-hmm. that somebody called you, Adriana they're like, how, how, how can you review those and produce them? Uh, just really focusing on that educational aspect. And then lastly, yeah, this the, the the podcast is a fun thing. So Jeff Richardson is down in your neck of the woods. He's, mm-hmm. he's an appellate lawyer in New Orleans. And uh, he's written a, a blog called iPhoneJD.com mm-hmm. for many, many years. And so every Friday, he and I get on and. We geek out, we nerd out <laughs> on anything, re, re, uh, well, anything technology, but could we talk about the, the, the home kit and, you know, home automation as well as a lot of iPhone, a lot of iPad stuff, uh, any, you know, a lot of things going on with, with Apple, just because we know that's what a lot of people are asking about and, uh, how can we use that? And not, it's not just lawyers. Like we really kind of talk about a lot of technology stuff. So it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: That's great. Well, Listeners, get excited for maybe a July, August episode where we've scheduled for Jeff and Brett to come on and give us the <laughs> Mac special, the Apple special, specifically for lawyers and uh, tools such a and tease. services. You're I such know. a good tease, Adrian. I know. Well, I'm excited uh, that we're going to do that because I know there are so many attorneys now that are using Macs and, and thinking that yes. maybe they can't do everything that a Windows user can. And you guys are going to tell them how. Yes, you are.
0: Right so,
1: on. Let me dive into the conversation and ask you this. Let's just go back to the basic topic of e-discovery. Can you minimize that fear of someone when they (laughs) think of being a solo or small firm and having to do e-discovery? What's the difference between a small e-discovery case and an Enron type of case? Because I have a feeling that if... If you aren't sure, you think, oh my God, I'm going to end up, you know, with as much data as they had during Enron, how would I manage it? And I'm not saying you couldn't as a solo small, and God bless you if you do, but is there sort of a, typically a smaller case looks like this versus a mega case would look like this?
0: Certainly if uh and, and i go in a lot of these move a lot of these circles where it's very large law firms, very large companies, very large litigation matters to where we're talking about uh many individuals in, involved and millions and millions of emails that have to be reviewed before, you know, production. Uh, obviously Enron is several years ago now, but we still use a lot of those I emails did it sometimes. Right. <laughs> it's it's okay. I mean, it's still, we still use a lot of that data, even from a, from an exemplary standpoint, you know, where we're trying to show like, how, how do you use some of these discovery tools? But, you know, we, we hear about this in mega uh, litigations today, a lot of, you know, multi-district litigations, you know, the opioid litigation type stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, those are, those are humongous, like way on the fringe aspects sizes of litigation. The vast majority, certainly I know of your users and the vast majority of attorneys are not dealing with those kind of cases and we're dealing with much smaller ideas, right? Now, just because it's a smaller case, I'm just going to say it right now, doesn't mean that you're not doing e-discovery because I guarantee you anything that you're going to be touching today, even in a small case. And by that, I mean, maybe we're only talking about Five hundred email messages and maybe some text messages. Oh, and maybe they had some Word documents over here, or you know, a couple of spreadsheets that this company was maybe using from an accounting standpoint. Oh, and they have one PowerPoint presentation. Uh, They you know they store it up in Dropbox. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. That doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not. But I hope that as you were listening to me there, you recognize every single one of those things are electronic digital files. Like I, I always give this example, Adriana, is um, when we talk about emails, <laughs> we don't look at emails in in page format, right? When I'm looking at an email message from you, I, I'm not flipping pages on my computer. I scroll up and down. Right. I, I, I like to say it this way. There are no pages in an email message. That's right. Uh, the only time that there's pages in an email message is when you do one thing, and that is you hit the print button.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> I, you ruin it at that point.
0: Exactly. It's
1: not what right. Okay, so we're going to just say never print an email. You're ruining it. Exactly, exactly.
0: And I I even use another quick example. I'm like, you know, has anybody gone through the nightmare? When I give these presentations, Adriana, you've been on the stage with me. I show a picture of, you know, somebody that has scotch taped multiple pages together because they tried to print an Excel spreadsheet, (laughs) right? You see this all the time. It's like, why is this happening? I've got a five column spreadsheet. And it's two pages. The first page has the first four (laughs) columns and the second page has the fifth column. So how do people (laughs) fix this? They get Scotch tape and they tape it together. And I say, why is it such a headache to print Excel spreadsheets? And one of the reasons I say Adrian all the time is because Excel spreadsheets are not meant to be printed out. They are electronic files. And the only reason I'm harping on this is simply because people tell me, well, We just don't do e-discovery. Well, did you have an Excel spreadsheet that was involved? Well, yes. Well, then you're doing e-discovery. You may choose to print that Excel spreadsheet to either paper or print to PDF, which is essentially doing a lot of the same thing, right? It's just still, and they say, oh, well, we still do electronic, it's just PDF. I get where you're coming from, but that's not accurate. Uh, And then just to really close that loop on that quickly, Adriana, there have been several cases in the past where a party had to go back and reproduce an Excel spreadsheet because they produced it as a PDF file. But the question had to do with the formula that was used inside ah. the cell, right? When you convert an Excel spreadsheet to PDF, guess what you see? You don't see the formula. You see the values Result. of that cell. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you see where I'm going. So I try to tell people, I'm not anti-paper. <laughs> it's like, I understand when you got to have... The paper, but I don't care if you're a solo practitioner, or a small firm, a midsize, you need to be aware at least of the risks involved with that, right? If 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 you produce an Excel spreadsheet, as paper or PDF, or if you're receiving that in the same way, just understand you're not getting all of the information that you're entitled to. Exactly your point, Adriana, with like when you print an email, you are stripping out important information, the metadata, all the stuff that you're really owed, Because that's under the rules, most state rules and the federal rules of civil procedure. You get how the information, you get the information and how it's kept in the ordinary course of business. Companies aren't keeping emails as PDF files. They're keeping it as emails. So anyway, I can just keep going on because I get so passionate about this and just helping people understand. You don't have to be an expert about this, but you should be aware of the list of the risks involved, you know, and, and basically what you're owed.
1: I love that. And it's so funny that you just mentioned the word metadata because I had just written it down. Right before you said (laughs) it, I was going to ask you to say, I was going to ask you to tell us the difference in when we use the term metadata in a big e-discovery case that involves hashing and doing a lot of forensics versus the metadata that you find in a PDF file, a Word document, and an email, which are not quite as complicated. Could you quickly give us Yeah. I'll tell you what I do is I often refer to the metadata in our everyday files as document properties yeah. versus dealing with the Perfect. metadata. So can you help us understand, because I think that term scares people a lot, but in right. our day-to-day files, we're talking usually about file properties.
0: Yeah. And that's that's exactly where I go for an example, Adriana, is I talk about five properties of a Microsoft Word document right? Because we can still find that. It used to be under file properties. I think they, depending on the version, it's a little hidden now, but you can find, and, and it's for file example, info in that, now. thank you. Exi- perfect. So you can find that information. And on that box, if you go look at that, it will tell you the exact date and time when that document was created. It will tell you the last time that the document was modified. It'll tell you the last time the document was accessed. It'll even tell you, the last time the date and time that the document was printed. Now, all that information is important and that so when we talk about metadata, this is going to the more simplistic aspect you're talking about Adriana, but those are the properties and the reason I bring this up is if you print that to paper, <laughs> you're not going to have that metadata information. And now again, is that may not be a showstopper for your case. But you should know that at that point if If there's a question in the case about when this document was created, right? Or when was the last time that this person accessed that document? Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to find that information unless you had that original file. And then we could even get back to some of the things you're talking about with how do we collect that file so that when we make a copy onto like an external hard drive, we're not doing a new creation date or something, right? And these are just some of the concerns or the risks that you should just be aware of that when you are getting involved, you know, in sort of this e discovery If that's a question, right? If that's a question in your case, when was the last time that John created this document or last accessed it, right? If that's not going to be a question that comes up, maybe you just don't care necessarily. And you you can print it out as much as you want. But if you think that that could be, Something that the other party will raise or the judge wants to know, or you're going to have to prove in somehow, some way. The only way you can do that is to make sure that you have that electronic file. So the metadata can be important from all that. Not to mention, if we get it, we'll, we'll get into some review platforms in a little bit, having all of that metadata, even from like an email message, so that you can quickly sort chronologically, like all the email messages yeah. that you receive, that kind of a thing. You can only do that if you have those electronic files.
1: So I'll help out a little bit by saying, I'm going to do it from the Windows side and then you tell them how to do it if they have a Mac. Good. If you go into if you go to File Explorer and you want to sort by modified date, by title, by size of the document. It's a it's a meg versus 56 kilobytes. The information that you can see in File yeah. Explorer and by the way what you're looking at isn't everything. I want you to next time you open File yeah. Explorer, my Windows users, go to the top of one of those columns right-click directly on that column, and you'll see all these other pieces of information that you can add as a column inside of File Explorer. And those are file properties. I mean, how else do you think right. that you can do a search for a document that has the word affidavit in it that you worked on last June of 2022? It's because there are properties that are attached to a document. And those aren't hard to see, find, and pull up. So Brett, real quick on a on Finder, how would I yeah. do that if I was a Mac?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same way. Obviously, if you're on a Mac, you go into the Finder that you can you can actually what, what I do many times is I just I simply will right click even on on a Mac I can right click on a file and I go to a little thing called Get Info. And if you do that, that comes up with a separate little box that pops up and it gives you pretty much all that information. Or you can find some of the additional information, uh, exactly what you're talking about, when it was created, the last time that it was accessed, how big it is, all that kind of stuff. It's not complete, just like what you said, Adriana, but it will certainly give you some of that information that you may not be able to see, you know, initially.
1: Okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, what I want to do is talk specifically about Maybe individual tools, tips, and services like Acrobat, like iMaze. And then in our third segment, I want to talk about platforms, the whole kind of kit and caboodle. So we're going to break it down to if you've got a piecemeal, some e-discovery stuff together versus, you know, I've got a budget and I do this a lot and it might be worth my investing in in a full-fledged tool. So we'll be right back. I'm here with Brett Burney today. He's my e-discovery guru. And we're going to listen to some messages from some sponsors and keep nerding out on this stuff. We'll be right back. Research shows that a firm's billing options directly impact a client's decision to hire. I've asked Joshua Lennon, my friend and Cleo's lawyer in residence, to come in and talk to us about this. Hi, Joshua. Hey, Adriana. Thanks for having me. You're right. 70% of clients are telling us that they want the option to pay via a payment plan. And while hourly rates remain the most common fee structure, offered by 97% of law firms, our survey data is telling us that most consumers, 67% want the option to pay for legal services via flat fees. However, that same data is telling us that only 37% of law firms actually offer flat fees on any legal matter. Firms that offer flat fees can gain a ton of business. To learn more about the billing preferences of today's legal clients, download Clio's Legal Trends for Solo Law Firms for free at clio.com forward slash solo. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash solo. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps Legal malpractice Practice insurance policyholders are solos, after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable, premium pricing for the first three years of practice. Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash first flight to learn more. Or just Google Alps First Flight you'll find them. First flight program, subject to eligibility requirements. Okay. So I'm back here with Brett Burney, a good friend of mine. We go way back to our our youthful years as technology consultants. And anytime I have a question about e-discovery stuff, and remember guys, I'm practice management advisor for Nebraska, for San Diego. I do tech support for the Florida Bar. So I hear from a lot of attorneys about different things, different issues that they're having. And There are certain questions, actually a lot of questions I can't answer. When somebody calls me about e-discovery, don't have the right answer. I text or I email Brett and he always replies. So I want to start with a text I sent you last week. Okay. Had an attorney call me or we had a consult through the San Diego County Bar. She said, uh, I have a client who has an iPhone and we need to get all of the text messages between her and her ex-husband or soon to be ex-husband off of that iPhone. How do I do that? And I wasn't sure because in the old days, you would plug it into the Mac, which now we never do that anymore. And then you could (laughs) use iTunes to, so I texted Brett and one word response, I maze, I-M-A-Z-E. And then the long response of why this tool is so cool. So Brett, if you're an attorney back to just, she didn't do this very often. She didn't have this need very often, but in this case, one attorney, one client, one iPhone, or it could have been an Android. What does iMazing do for us?
0: Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna take one quick step back on this. This is probably the number one question that I get today in quote eDiscovery, because this is eDiscovery, is it used to be emails and it still is. Emails are still probably the primary source of potentially relevant information that we're grabbing. But in today's world, Adriana, it is text messages. And I don't care how small or how big the case is, I don't care what kind of law it is, whether it's criminal or domestic or construction law, it doesn't matter. Text messages today are probably the number one question I get about how do we collect this, review it, and ultimately produce them. I talk about this in usually three different methods, (laughs) going from the least expensive, uh, the most risky, all the way up to the most expensive and the less risky on that. Uh, And so I I, I do three different areas. I start with something that, what everybody already knows, screenshots. You got it, exactly. You're ruining it. I'm just saying, that's a way, if you understand the risk, if, first of all, it's very easy, right? The client can do this. Everybody knows how to do screenshots. You take the screenshot, you scroll up, take another screenshot, scroll up, uh, take another screenshot, rinse and repeat. But then you've got a bunch of pictures, right? How do you get those pictures to your attorney? And you're taking pictures. So you've got to make sure that you have a comfort level with how you're going to authenticate those images, right? Like how are how they do? Because today we have tools that we can use to modify those images, et cetera, right? You just even on the iPhone itself. Yep. Now, you oh, can yeah. do, now the screenshots work for iPhone and Android. So it's very easy in that point. But as counsel, legal counsel, you just need to make sure that you are okay with the risk because if there's any question about that, then we go to the next level, which is iMazing. But by the way, I'll jump all the way to the third level just quickly, forensic image. If you really wanna get it the most comprehensive with the less risk, but it's gonna be the most expensive, then you're going to have to hire somebody to do a forensic image of those of that device. Now, that way you get everything, right? But you're going to have to understand how to talk with them about how to collect it. You know, what information do you need on there?
1: Can you give us a ballpark idea of what that would cost? Like, is it $100, $10,000?
0: Oh, no. You're probably looking at probably at least 1500 and okay. up then at that point. And I usually it's, it's almost about double that is what I typically see today, but you know, it all depends on where you are and and what kind of information, but if you want them to go and do it, and by the way, in order to do that forensic image and pretty much all of these three methods, Adriana, you have to have physical access to this device, right? If you have screenshots, obviously somebody's doing that. If you have the forensic image, they have to have the physical access of the, of the, of the device. And the Middle method, which is your original question, is the iMazing software. Now, there are several tools out there that will do this, but I have found iMazing to be probably the best. This is software that is not for your phone. This is software for your computer, either Windows or Mac. So similar to exactly what you just said, Adriana, if we used to plug it in and use iTunes. You know, I think about, I tell people, remember when we used to have iPods, they didn't connect to the internet, right? How did you get music onto those iPods? Mm -hmm. You downloaded the music on your computer and then you plug the iPod (laughs) into your computer and you copied it over. Same kind of an idea here. So you download the iMazing software on your computer, Windows or Mac, and then you plug in your iPhone. It only works for iPhones. Into your computer. And this, what this iAmazing software does, initially it does a full backup of the entire device and you can work on for iPads as well. So it does a full backup. Then once you have that backup, you can do a variety of things. You can copy photos off of there, obviously, you know, you can download that. The other thing that lawyers like about it is that you can copy voicemails from your phone and you can preserve them, you know, you can save them out. But obviously, we're talking about text messages here. What's great about the iMazing software? So once you've got this full backup, you can go into the iMazing software and say, "I only want to see the text messages with John and Adriana, right?" So you can narrow it down to just the person that you want, you know, from the from the conversation. You can say, "I only want to see it from this date range, right? We only want to see it from January to 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 March." And I only I want to search for this word. Like I only mm. want to know the messages that they when they were discussing bananas or whatever it is, right? So you can narrow all of that down to that specific set of text messages. The best thing about the iMazing software, though, I think is that once you're done, you can then export that message collection out as a PDF file. Now, I just got through talking about how you don't want to have PDFs, right? I understand that. Don't ruin it. But in this case, this is... In the iAmazing software, they even have some blog posts on their website that 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 go through you know this because they for 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 legal professionals because they know people are using it for this tool, but you can even include a date and timestamp on each of those messages. You can even apply redactions once it's in a PDF, oh. and the best thing about this PDF is that it looks. Exactly like what it looks like on your phone, complete with the blue and the green bubbles, (laughs) whatever it is that you're using on there. So the reason so much so many of us like it is because when I hand this off to a client or when you show it to the judge or whatever, that it looks exactly like what it looks like on the screen, like what they expect, right? You could export out of iMazing as a CSV file or even as an HTML file. There's other ways that you can export that out if you if you wanted it in, the, in that method for somehow. But most people just go with a PDF. That PDF also has the date and timestamp at the bottom. So in other words, it can be, a lot more easily authenticated because you can show exactly when this backup was was created and you can show exactly when these text messages uh, were sent and received.
1: So it contains the properties for the text messages also. What if it's a voice memo? that you know cuz now yeah. we're, a lot of people really like sending voice memos right. as a string of text messages what would it do yeah. with something like that
0: same thing like that it would actually just create a little uh, uh audio a little file? file yeah oh, like a, okay. I, I think cool. it's an mp3 or maybe an mp4 m4p like Excellent. one of those yeah those little audio files so that you can copy those as well now typically obviously <laughs> you'd have to send a pdf of like the text messages and then the audio files would be separate but most of us are comfortable with that because then we know at least we're getting the
1: full collection yeah, or if you're good with PDF, you could embed the sure. audio file with a little picture of sure. a microphone or something. Okay. Two sure. follow-up questions on this before I move on to my next tool for you. Oh, that was my first follow-up question, actually. And so you said iMazing, which I think I called it iMAZE, but it's iMazing.
0: Yeah. I I-ma- like amazing, but um, iMazing. Yeah, right. it's very what cute about how you did that.
1: <laughs> it's super cute. And it makes it clear it's for iPhones and <laughs> right. um, iPads. What if it right. what if you have an Android?
0: yeah, so Android's a little bit different, obviously. The best thing that I recommend for Android is actually it's 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 a mix of both on the phone and on the computer. So there is a company that's out of Australia called synctech, s y n c t e c h and okay. they make a an app for the Android called it's, it's very creative here SMS backup and restore. <laughs> SMS backup and restore. Uh, There's a free version and there's a version for five bucks. I think it's just the free version is a little limited. So for $5, why not just go? So this is an app that you put on your Android phone and you can open the app and say, I want all my text messages backed up or just a select group of text messages backed up from there. And that basically backs that information up in an XML file, not HTML, but similar XML file. Now the next point, then after that, is you've got to have a way to parse With out you. that XML file, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so on the SyncTech website, they even have like an XML viewer. They don't, you don't upload anything to it. They everything stays on your computer, but you can use that to view. Or if you've got some kind of a of an IT person that you know, you can you can uh, uh, help them. They 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 have access to some of these XML parsers or notepads or whatever it is, just so that it makes a little bit more sense. So it's not as pretty <laughs> as what you would get with an iPhone, but we use that all the time. In fact, Catherine uh, Sanders-Reach and I, when we, we, we talked about this tool many times. You know, Adriana, she's a very big Android user. She's my
1: last guest.
0: Oh, great. So she uses this app all the time, not because she's collecting information from a litigation matter, but because she just wants an easy way to back up her own text messages, right? Mm -hmm. It's just an easy way to do a backup. But in our case, it does a backup that we can then preserve properly so that ultimately we can review it and then produce it to the other side in litigation.
1: Okay. I know there's a listener right now in her car listening to this going, well, they said that the Android software is $5, but they forgot to tell me how much iMazing is.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: Ballpark for that?
0: Yeah, $45, $50, I think is a single license for iMazing. And again, that's software that runs on your computer, right? The iMazing software, it's iMazing.com. It's it's very self-explanatory. And again, they have got a great blog with several posts specifically written for legal professionals about how to go through all this and you know the right settings to have and everything. So it's a great, great company.
1: My suggestion, if you're an attorney thinking about this or needing these tools is spend the $55 to get both of these tools you figure out how it works so that when you have to tell your client to download the software and they have to do it with their phone that you can help them do that. It sounds pretty easy, right, right. but please don't be the attorney that just sends a link to your client and says, download this, send me the output, right. like figure out how it works yourself yeah. first, invest your $50. It's not
0: Well, that and, and just to underscore that it's, it's good, Adrienne, because I've done some of these quote collections even remotely, Right. I don't say that a self-collection is always the best way. Again, that's more of like a legal strategy. You have to make sure that as legal counsel, you're comfortable with this. But, you know, we've just done a Zoom call where I've gone over, you know, walked Mm -hmm. a client through using iMazing. I will just say that first backup of the iPhone could take a while. Right? Everybody gets upset at me because it's like, oh, well, this should only take a few minutes on there. But depending on how much you have on your phone, and you know these phones today have a lot of stuff on there, just know that that initial backup, just like anything else, that initial backup of the iPhone could take. 30 minutes, it could take two hours. It could take three hours, depending on how much information, because it does a full backup of that. And in some cases, I also make sure, Adriana, that people have enough space on their computer to hold Mm -hmm. all of that information. That's a very good point. Because
1: for a lot of us, our iPhones have more storage than our computers do. (laughs) So that's an excellent point to mention. Exactly, exactly. All right, great. So we've got uh, text messages, which you said is your number one question, and I'm not surprised. What about social media sites, like a Facebook page or an Instagram um, how what's the best way to that sort of stuff I don't imagine that you can yeah. actually sort of export and grab. So would you say that printing a web page, a Facebook page as a PDF, are there any tools that you can recommend for doing that, capturing that kind of endless you know, page? Yeah.
0: yeah, back in the day <laughs> when websites weren't quite as, I guess, dynamic as they are today. Littered. Even sometimes printing the PDF would would typically be okay. I didn't like it, but I use some ancient tools that were just like web scrapers and that we were able to do some of that kind of stuff. But the thing about today, especially on social media, and that's another hot topic, Adriana, Mm -hmm. people are always asking, you know, this because we all go to Facebook or we go to YouTube or we go to Instagram and in some cases we don't see all the comments or we only have the top comments or, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there's comments there, but we only see the first comment. And then if we really want to see the rest of it, we've got to go into the full post. I mean, there's just so, there's so many different ways that all of these channels today will show information or bubble up information. And really what I find most of the time people are interested in is I need to collect a, a, a profile, somebody's profile, or I want to, you know, I want to collect this entire post where, you know, the other side was making these comments, right? Something like that. Like it's really some of this content heavy uh, aspects. A few tools on this. First of all, today, I cannot recommend print a PDF. Number one, Go and try it, <laughs> and then compare the the PDF file to the actual website. It's it's not going to look anything like it, right? There's just so much junk, like you said, Adriana, litter that goes around that it doesn't look anything like that PDF. Not, looks nothing like the um, the actual website. So, just a, a few tools quickly that in this case I would recommend. If this is something really really important, I mean, you could do screenshots there as well, right? We could do screenshots, mm-hmm. scroll down, take another screenshot, scroll up. But again, just know the risks involved with that because. What I find many times, Adriana, is that a lawyer has like their paralegal <laughs> in the office doing that. Well, is are you okay if the paralegal, you know, has to somehow explain how they created those screenshots? You know, if you're okay with that, then maybe that's okay. Not something I would recommend. Uh, a tool that's been around for a long time is X1, the letter X and numeral one. You know that, Adriana, because they used to do desktop search tools. They have some very sophisticated social discovery tools today. Not something I would recommend probably recommend to for most mid-sized law firms, but they are still known as one of the best out there. But there's a great service out of Chicago called Page Vault. Uh, mm-hmm. Page-Vault. Good. You, you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically do screenshots plus <laughs> for you. But what the great part is that they're doing it for you. They've got tools. So they make sure they capture everything. And they 'll be happy to provide an affidavit for you right so uh, you can go to the website I think some you know they, they actually got things several prices posted there like a couple hundred dollars to do a full okay. YouTube uh, site or something like that so that's great and then one other quick tool I'll mention is a company called page freezer just like it sounds page freezer Ooh. but they actually have a a a second tool that they have called web preserver web preserver just like it sounds and this is actually a Chrome plugin-in I've I've worked with the company several times and recommended this tool many times. I'm not really sure the pricing specifically on this because I think they go per page, but basically what they're doing is they're creating PDFs, but the way that this Chrome plugin works, first of all, it's all, it can be all easily authenticated and, and, and very well preserved. It's just a tool. You can go and look it up and see, see some information on there. But today when it comes to some of the social media, that web preserver tool by the way will like make sure it gets all the comments it makes Mm. sure that it goes through and looks at all of the comments that may be on a youtube video if it's an instagram post it gets all the pictures that you say you can limit it even by a date and time stamp on there so i know those are some additional tools i'm throwing out but in today's world with the way that the web that we interact with the web today specifically even on social channels like this it's probably not going to be enough to print to pdf I don't think screenshots are always going to be the best way either. So you might need to look to invest in some tools for that.
1: Well, I think you've given us some great options. Talk to me about email. Like, you know, this <laughs> attorney who, she was actually producing her own email. So it was in her inbox. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it could be your client's inbox too. Maybe yeah. you, you can give us some ideas. I'm happy to, uh, you know, when you're done, just mention the do-it-yourself easy way with Adobe Binders. But do you have other Perfect. tools or ideas? Yeah.
0: Well, let me just say, this this could also get us in. I know we'll be talking about review platforms because Microsoft Outlook is not a document review platform. <laughs> and the reason I say that, it, you know, It's, it's because, also, by
1: the way, not a case management system or a document thank management you. system. I'm thank just going to throw that in there.
0: Exactly. Beautiful. So the reason that I, I say that to back up now is most of the time when you're collecting email from your client that you have to review in order to produce it to the other side, They're either going to be coming from a Microsoft Outlook, if that's what they use, or typically today we'll see Gmail accounts, right? So however you are collecting that, if it's Microsoft Outlook, you're gonna typically be collecting it in a PST file. It stands for Portable Storage Table, but that's just because Microsoft continues to use this weird name for it. But it's been around for eons. And it is basically like the default method that we use to transport email collected from either Outlook or Exchange. The reason it's great is number one, a PST file can hold one email message or 10 million email messages, right? But it's one file. And number two, that PST file preserves all of the metadata, it preserves the parent. Child attachment. That's what we call the parent is the email message and the attachments are the children. It preserves those families. It preserves the thread conversations. All of that information is properly preserved in a PST file. So that's why we use it. So if you have a client that sends you a PST file, because they can just go into Outlook and say, I'm going to export this folder off as a PST file, then they can send it to you as legal counsel. You may think, well, wait a minute. I've got Microsoft Outlook on my computer. This came Is from it, Microsoft this Outlook. Easy. I'll just open it to Microsoft Outlook. And guess what? It works. You can open up a PST file, a, even a local PST file in your Outlook. But as soon as you do that, number one, you have modified the metadata of that original emails of those you messages. You ruined it. Number two, that's live email. So in a, you could inadvertently hit reply or forward a, a, an email that was never meant for you to be involved in. You have no way to tag messages if they're relevant or not. And most people, Adriana, just say, oh, well, that's easy. I just move it into a different subfolder then.
1: You're ruining Guess it. Guess
0: what? You <laughs> I like the way you're saying it. I, I'm using like the technical term, like you're changing the metadata involved in that. But but no, you're ruining it. I mean, the way I, I tell it to a lot of people is you're putting your digital fingerprints <laughs> On those messages, uh, <laughs> one 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 law firm. Your uh,
1: fingerprints are now on the gun. Is it exactly. spoliation, or is that something different?
0: It, it, so, is it? I think yes. But here's the thing that a lot of people come up with, Adriana, is if the other side never asks about it or brings up the topic, is it spoliation? I think yes, but that's what a lot of people tell me, Adrian. Right? They're like, oh, well, you don't understand. The other side doesn't have a clue what's going on. They don't know. Small I just town a attorney PDS.
1: in rural uh, exactly. Idaho. What I do they get it know? All.
0: Right. I get it all. And, uh, you know, certainly if you're at the federal level, <laughs> you better have your act together because those yeah. judges know what they're doing. But I completely understand at many state levels, if you're not in a big urban area, that kind of a thing, then uh, yeah, you may not you may not deal with it. But you don't have to be perfect about it. You just have to know about it, right? That's what the whole competency rules, mm-hmm. stand, uh, Adriana. You just have to be aware of the risk and benefits associated with the technology. Maybe you choose to produce as a PDF, but you got to know the risks involved in that. And, and one law firm called me and they were upset because they were trying to produce email that they had collected for this very sensitive litigation matter. They collected it from their clients as PST files. They reviewed it for, I don't know how many, how, a couple of weeks in their own Outlook, several uh, attorneys. And they called me because they were upset they were ready to produce it, right? And ha- they were producing it as PDF files from their Outlook. When eh. you print an email to PDF from your Outlook, whose name appears at the top of the email message? Yours. Yours exactly now. You've your it. client that you were talking to, thank you. Your client is a little bit different, right? They were producing their own emails, but it's like that's client emails. I just have to tell you, I hope they're not listening, but they 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 figured it out not because I suggested this. They figured out how to go into the print settings and reduce that font for the name down to like one point font.
1: Oh my god! Brilliant. <laughs> and that's how they
0: that's how they produced oh, wow. it. I know, I know. Well, because obviously they were in it. That's not what I suggested, but the point is. Outlook is not a review. You can't redact emails in Outlook. You can't search emails in the same way. And everybody's like, oh, well, that's silly. I search in Outlook all the time. You search your own emails. You search for things that you know, but you don't have the same capabilities to search email that came to you from a client for crying out loud. Like that's a different ball of wax. Totally.
1: So what is the answer if we're not going to review emails through a, PST, PST file inside of Outlook, is there a platform or a tool that you recommend for that?
0: Yes, absolutely. At this point, if this is something that is, that is uh, kind of hitting close to home for you, at this point is when I recommend going to a true document review platform. Uh, now, as soon as I say that, I know you know bells start going off because of what, oh my goodness, the, the you know, the expenses involved. And There's everything. a lot of
1: affordable options out there.
0: There are. Exactly, Adriana. That's I'm what just I'm going saying to saying it
1: out loud before somebody yeah. hits the pause button.
0: Exactly. Thank you. Okay, thank give you. us
1: the, the one for this, and then we're gonna talk platforms in our next section. What's the name of the, what you suggest typically or the couple of tools?
0: Yeah, I'm just going to quickly say on this, though, before it gets to this point that you need to start worrying about the cost involved here is I'm hoping that everybody's been listening up to this point so far because this, the the whole thing about e-discovery and collecting data and reviewing data, Adriana, needs to be addressed with your client early on. I always talked about early case assessment, right? It, it, when you start talking with a client, a new client, you know, you're thinking about, okay, who are the people involved? What are the events involved? You know, who did what, when, like, it, you know, it, how expensive is this going to be? How long is it going to take? Is there even a case here? All of those things you're assessing, you know what else you need to be including in that is what's the data involved? Is there a lot of email, you know, were there email communications, are there text messages? You need to be assessing not just the early case assessment, but also I call it early data assessment. Because if you can start addressing that early on, then we can get to this point on the flip side of the Docker Review platform that you can maybe start passing through some of those costs, right? You've already prepared your client to understand if we are going to go through with this matter, you know, here's my time, But we also need these tools to make sure that we're doing the best job because I just see it so often, Adriana, like it hits the fan and nobody's even brought this up. So, of course, the client doesn't want to pay more Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this point. So the platforms that we're talking about, if you really want to go to the highest level today and if anybody does anything in this, you've probably heard of Relativity. That's a company that's been around for a very long time. And they just—they still kind of have this reputation of being for very large law firms, uh, very large service providers, very large companies. And they do now—they're—they're changing course a little bit with Relativity One, which is a cloud-based platform. But that's where I go next, right? Is cloud-based platforms, just like I know you Ah. talk about all the time, Adriana. Just like there's practice management cloud-based platforms, Clio and Rocket Matter, and all the others, and there's cloud-based accounting tools. <laughs> there are cloud-based document review platforms. And this is what I would typically recommend for folks. If you get a PST file, you can upload it to one of these platforms. It will process the files for you and protect and preserve those files for you so that you can review and ultimately produce them out. So on this sort of this next, the, the there, there's, a, there's a wide variety. I'll, I'll give you some of the names. Logical has been out for a very long time. Yeah. Another one is Everlaw. Disco is one. Uh, the company that I work for, uh, Next Point, has been doing it for a very, very long time. And then there's a couple of others, uh, Lexbe, L-E-X-B-E. And uh, one that I, I honestly, I would tell people that if you've never done anything like this before and you want to just start out, it's a company called Goldfinch. Gold, F-Y-N-C-H, Goldfinch. And the reason I tell people, it's, it's a very good tool for what it does It's less expensive probably than some of the other tools, but, and I mean this in a positive way, you're going to, you get what you pay for uh, only because I've started out a lot of people on a platform like Goldfinch and it just, the snowball continues to roll and it wasn't enough, exactly, Adriana. And at that point, even though I may have told them earlier on, you, you you have a little bit more sophisticated needs and so next point maybe is where you should start. But Goldfinch, is is very good for what it does. I've worked with several cases to where it's been adequate up to the point, but they've could they quickly will run into some barriers. Now again, nothing against goldfinch. It's fantastic. Right. and they, they even have a really nifty pricing slider on their website. So you can determine, you know, if you only have five gigs of email, which is always going to be a lot more probably once it gets processed. but those are those are platforms that you can use
1: now, wait a minute. Did you just cut into our third segment and you're talking about platforms in general, or this is specifically for helping and managing PST email files?
0: Well, it's, it's, a, it's such an overlap here, Adriana, okay. because, Making because sure. it is, it's so like, it's, yeah, it's good I, for I know, emails. I'm and jumping the gun.
1: You are, <laughs> I know you're excitable, but so let me just stop you here. Cause let's cover that in the next segment. Just okay. I, everything you've given us is so helpful, but let's just pretend that was the answer to just emails And I'm going to ask you next about how do you just bring it all together? But I want to ask you one more question before we take our next break. Just back to emails and Outlook. Oh, I promised everyone that I would mention the very cheap do-it-yourself way, which is if you have a professional PDF tool that you are paying for and you have all of those emails in a folder in Outlook, you can right-click and you should see an option to archive as a PDF, in which case, and I'll talk about it from Acrobat, Acrobat takes all of those emails and their attachments and puts it into this pretty cool binder, which allows you to see the PDFs in a table. You can sort by subject, sender, date received, and it actually preserves the attachments in their native format. So if there's an attachment as a Word file, you see it as a Word file, and it even keeps the headers, the metadata of those emails. So Brett, in you know that's a response I usually give when somebody's like I've got I've got too many emails in my inbox I've got to archive these closed matters what do I do with them I'm like oh use the PDF archive. Yeah. But from a production perspective is there something we need to know as a risk or a benefit when producing a PDF archive?
0: Yeah, the the binder itself fact, it's it's even come up in several case law that it it unless you have right this is the this is the uh, uh, Acrobat specific File format, right? So you have to have Adobe in order to view those binders. Is that right, Adriana?
1: You have to have PDF. I mean, anything okay, that'll okay. view a PDF. It's a regular in a, in PDF. A binder.
0: Yeah. So yeah. there's, there's, that has been just fine for many folks in doing a production set. But I would just make sure that at some point you maybe discuss the production format with the other side before you do that. I know a lot of people don't want to do this. They don't want to bring it up because if they bring it up, then the other side is going to require them to do it. Certainly at the federal level, the federal rules of civil procedure say that you are required to discuss the form or forms of production. And most States today have adopted that exact same language. And they say you have the right to request a specific format or a specific form of production. And so will that pdf work fine sure if that's if that's what you kind of discussed and they're okay with that the only reason i bring this up is because Many times I find that you know smaller law firms are involved. Like this comes up in employment discrimination matters, right? One employee that is that is bringing a lawsuit against a very large company that has a very large law firm that's representing them. Well, those large law firms are probably not using some of these tools. They mm. may be using Relativity. They may be using something a lot bigger. And in which case, then they may come to you and say, "We require you to produce this." in a very proprietary format that we call a load file. That's just what we call it. It's, it's a mix of all of the individual images and an extraction of all of the database elements, the metadata and everything, as well as maybe even accompanied by text files for the OCR, you know, for the extracted text. So that's really techie and nerdy, but many of these law firms, uh, larger law firms especially, will have that requirement. Or especially if you're going up against the government, most certainly federal agencies today have a lot of requirements as far as this is exactly how you're going to produce it to us. And usually it's not a PDF binder or that that kind of an aspect. But if that's what the other side, you know, if it's a small... Yeah. Um, smaller matter, and it's just a few PDFs. Most everybody has the ability to open and view PDF files, but just know at that point that if, again, back to what I was talking about earlier, if you convert an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> to PDF, yep. they may say, okay, I see the PDF version, but I also need the Excel, original Excel file for this, right? And, and many times that's how we do it, Adrienne. We'll, we'll say like, we, we're gonna give you like a placeholder or this you know, PDF version of the Excel spreadsheet, but we're also gonna provide that native file alongside that in case you need that or if that's what the question is.
1: Okay, all right, let's take our last break. We're gonna come back and get back to that conversation about platforms. It's a common story. You started your practice with a budget website. There were a million things swirling and you needed something. Nine, 12, 18 months later, your practice is generating revenue and you have your legs under you. It may be time to revisit that website. Talk to Practice Made Perfect. Your website can become a profitable tool for attracting clients. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos, just starting out or market leaders. Practice Made Perfect. Visit PMPMG.com forward slash solo. LawClerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based and also ongoing work via subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, LawClerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Okay, I've had a very exciting and I never say that about eDiscovery, but Brett, I think this has been a, a cool and exciting conversation about sort of, you know, getting our feet wet and understanding what our tools are. If we're either piecemealing or just have one little project to do like, you know, export text files. But now yeah. I want you to go back to the conversation about platforms and tell us is there like a a buckets that you would put all those tools you were mentioning in? Earlier, So when somebody calls me and asks about case management, I say, well, there's three buckets that I usually put them in. Those that don't have accounting, those that do have accounting, and then the ones that right. require you to hire an yeah. accounting and yeah. technology <laughs> consulting company. So I have buckets. <laughs> would you say there's um, the basic bucket, the intermediate bucket, and then the advanced bucket of these e-discovery platforms?
0: Yeah. And then can I you break so. those yeah. down
1: for us? Okay. Okay. Yeah, Let's we'll start with say- the basics.
0: Yeah, it may even <laughs> only be, be two buckets there okay. uh so so you know what I'll just go back to what I said like that high advanced bucket I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it around Adriana that high okay. advanced bucket would be something like relativity typically if it's a if it's if it's regular re- relativity <laughs> and I mean that from the sense like you want the basic tools on there uh you may not even be able to, to 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 access it yourself again they have a cloud version today but a lot of relativity is is done by like a third party what we call a service provider right sure. so that you're not even dealing with the software yourself, you're having it hosted by a service provider on there. So that's sort of like that way high advanced bucket. And for good reason, Relativity has been around for a very long time and they have probably the most advanced tools. If they don't have it, they've got third parties, you know, that that are APIs that they that work with them on that and partners as well. But I would almost throw... Just about everything else into the intermediate I guess there's there, there, there could be some basic buckets if I go you know maybe I'll put goldfinch and maybe another tool called Lexby into that basic bucket okay and I don't, I don't mean that negative in any way because it's again, not
1: negative right because these, sometimes that's right. all we need or that's right it gives us the diving board to jump off of into the exactly. next level it's a good starting point so Lexby exactly. and goldfinch and yeah. do you and with those this is you can throw everything into it, whether it's uh, a text message, PDFs, Excel files, PSTs, everything can go in there. That's really, okay. So tell us how these kind of work. Yeah.
0: It's really like you get a PST file from your client. The great thing about the PST file, everything is preserved inside it, right? So you're not going to open that in your Outlook. That's not what Outlook is designed for, but you simply will go to goldfinch.com. You'll log in and you upload that PST file to Google. It's all cloud-based? It's all cloud-based. So I tell okay. people, if you can upload a picture to Facebook, you can upload a PST file to NextPoint or Goldfinch, <laughs> whatever tool that you're going to be using at that point. Are, and are all of
1: these cloud-based? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's the way it's going. I mean, there. in fact, <laughs> there were two desktop-based e-discovery tools and one just got sunsetted. So there's only <laughs> oh, one right now. It's a company called out. Yeah Digital War Room. So if anybody wants to go and look at them, they, they do have a desktop- uh, tool, in fact, I think they have the pricing on there, maybe sixteen hundred dollars or so. Uh, but again, you know, unless you've got a high-end computer that can do a lot, say, a, a lot of processing, that's what I've run into a lot. drive the size of yeah. the
1: National Archives.
0: You got it exactly. And so they still offer that. So Digital War Room is another good one. But then they also have cloud offerings that if you need to move into that, because they anticipate that you may need to move into the cloud at some point when you have too much to do.
1: Okay, so those are our two start here. Especially yeah. if you're just looking to get your feet wet. And do you have any right. pricing? information on those? Do they do it by the gigabyte still? They
0: do. And that was the other point that I wanted to get. So most of these platforms will charge per gigabyte per month.
1: Okay. Well, what's the per month part? Like as long as you have it up there and the case is alive and you want to access the data. You got After the case, you can get it all back or have them destroy it?
0: That's right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Now, most of the time that's on like a per case basis, right? You know, Adriana, that a lot of the companies today want to get you into a subscription level. You know, they, they want yeah. you to commit to it several years. So there's all different pricing ways and they give you some price breaks on some of that. But if you're just doing like a one-off or every, you know, every three months you have a case, that kind of a thing, then it's per gigabyte per month for as long as you have it, as long as they're hosting that information for you.
1: That's interesting. And I was guessing, I don't, I mean, I don't know how this stuff works. I'm just assuming what is sensible and um, ballpark pricing.
0: Yeah. If you have it, or should we
1: look at their website?
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. The reason that I like Goldfinch so much is that you can go in, they've got a pricing slider. And I think they even, they even start with like maybe $30, you know, per month for three gigabytes or something like that. So it's it's exactly, but again, it's basic tools that I've even talked with the founder several times. You know, they know that, 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 that this is a, a sweet spot for them. And That's it's great. great for folks that just have those PST files or other files. You just don't open. Like if, a, if, if a client sends you a Word document, don't open it in your Microsoft Word because you're, uh, you're changing that metadata. Same thing with the PST files. So Goldfinch is excellent for, for those kind of an aspects on there.
1: Can you give us a visual of like what this looks like? So you yeah. you take all the files, you upload them, you've created a Goldfinch account, you've put in your credit card information, you've uploaded right. your files. You're like, okay, file one, you know, right. 00001. What does it look like? The dashboard? Just yeah, real quick, give us an idea of, of what we're going to see and then what the buttons would be that we would press to to review that data.
0: Right. Think of an Excel spreadsheet. It literally is a database and for me, the best way I think of it is an Excel spreadsheet because I'm not an Excel wizard. (laughs) I know you're a much better Excel user than I am. I wouldn't say that, but... I know how to filter. I know how to sort, right, in Excel. So if I go into my database in Goldfinch or NextPoint or whatever other platform that I'm in, I just want to say, I want to see all these emails from John sorted chronologically, right? So I'm going to start with the very first one and I go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. So I have the ability to do that sort. Now... Once you've got it sorted, you have all of the information exactly what we were just talking about earlier with like the Windows Explorer or the Mm -hmm. Mac Finder. I want to not only see the date that that email was sent. I want to see the from field, the to field, the CC field, the BCC field. I want to see the subject line. I have access to all of that information on emails or Word documents. The author, you know, for example, there's all kinds of metadata fields that I have access to once it's in a platform like this that... I could either use to filter on, I can say only emails from John in 2018, right? That boom, have the word
1: you, martini in it.
0: Exactly, exactly. So I have the ability to build those searches on there. And once I've got okay. that list narrowed down, because John's email is going to be chock full of junk that I just don't even care about, right? right. All the ESPN.com sports scores from every day, the NYTimes.com, you know, hey, there's donuts on the fifth floor. Everybody come and grab some. You know, I don't care about all those emails. I just care about the specific emails that are going to be relevant to, my, to, to the case that I'm working on. And so I use these tools to narrow it down. Then I simply just click on the message that I want to look at, right? And it usually will open up in a different viewer. Sometimes it's a different tab. Sometimes it's a different window. And in this viewer, it allows you to uh, place redactions if you need to. You can search that specific document. And most importantly, we usually have what we call a coding form on the side. So we can say, you know, at the very simplistic simplistic level, we say, is this document responsive or not, or relevant or not, right? If it's not relevant, I just mark it not relevant and I never see it again. I don't want to see it again. If it is relevant, the next question usually that I ask is, is it privileged or is it protected somehow by confidentiality? Because if it's relevant, I got to produce it unless it's privileged and then I don't have to produce. So we have the ability to tag or code is what we say. We have the ability to tag these files with these different options here, but it can be anything, Adriana. I tell people like, you know, think of it as Brett's hot document <laughs> or, yeah. you know, Brett's important documents or here's all the documents where John was talking about martinis, right? That kind of stuff. Like it can be any tag that you want to. It's just a way to make sure that you have that ability to organize it.
1: Okay, so now we got our gateway products to becoming e-discovery experts, Goldfinch <laughs> or Lexby. And so now we're comfortable, we like this and we've got the basics down, but we've got a little bit of a bigger case. What are we going to be looking at now?
0: Yeah, that's that middle tier. I think I mentioned them, uh, Everlaw, Logical, Disco, and NextPoint, definitely. Now, that's not to say that people haven't used these tools for very large cases. They have. Uh, In fact, I know at NextPoint, we've got uh, several cases that are humongous. They just was companies that didn't want to use Relativity or something else. But the vast majority of the matters typically in here are going to be what I would consider to be mid-sized cases, right? They're not going to be that Enron size or anything okay. like that. But it's going to be the vast majority of litigation matters that people are going to be dealing with.
1: And then can you give us ballpark pricing or how the structuring, is it also still by the gigabyte?
0: It is. And so again, it all depends. You know, most companies do not want to give out pricing on, on this. Yeah. So if you go to them and start asking, they're probably not going to be happy that Brett Bernie said a number, but I am going to give you a number because-
1: How about this? What's a ridiculous number? <laughs> right? No, c- I know.
0: Well, I want to give you a, a standard number. This is still the standard number that okay, most okay. people will use because it usually Ooh, comes back around in
1: this. information on new solo.
0: For most of these platforms, you can estimate about uh, $40 per gig per month is what it comes down to.
1: So $500 per gig per month is ridiculous
0: that would be a little ridiculous we used to see those uh, prices yeah we used to see those prices i still see the prices sometimes but yeah that's a little too much i've even seen it go lower and this is where all the competition happens you know in the legal tech marketplace that that comes back and forth most of these platforms will do a per gig per month i will say however that next point was a little bit different in this and i found that there have been a couple of other other platforms that are trying to experiment with this is a per user cost as opposed to per gigabyte. So I'll just quickly say, because I know I've worked with NextPoint, it's per user. So obviously that's going to be a little bit more than $40, right? It's going to be a little sure. more expensive, but it's per user because it's not being charged on the data. Because it's
1: all you can code, all you can upload there you based go. on the user. Okay. There
0: you go. Because inevitably, inevitably, I see this all the time, it will grow bigger. No case have I ever worked on where it goes smaller data than what you anticipated. It will always grow bigger. And so one of the reasons that I know that, that again, next point, just because I know we were one of the first to really do this on a per user mm, basis. Smart, smart. It's like, it's per user, it's a little bit more, you know, it's not, not a whole lot more, but it's gonna be more than a $40 per gig, but it's per user, so that way you're not restricted. And here's the other reason that that's so cool, because at the beginning of a case, You may not know how many gigabytes of data you're gonna have, right? right? So Rocky, the CEO of NextPoint, has been famous for saying this. It's like, why are you being forced? Why are you forcing these customers to have to like guess how many gigabytes? (laughs) Because inevitably, the price is always gonna go up unless you have like a per user perspective, and that way, it's like, don't worry about wondering how many gigabytes you know you're 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 covered like it's more predictable pricing now next point is i I like that very much yeah because i know that but there's been at least one or two other uh even in the last few months other companies that i've seen that are trying to experiment with this or at least offering this this uh, aspect as well so be sure you ask about it
1: okay so um thank you for giving us ballpark nobody's gonna email you and go you liar
0: oh they will (laughs) i'm sure no
1: they won't because i this is this is my disclaimer i ask For ballpark, so we are not shocked, but you know, we understand that it's ballpark. Okay. It's good.
0: But I'm you know, I'm I'm glad, just to the point, I'm glad because I know, I know from a sales perspective and a marketing perspective, people don't like to usually give numbers. And I I fully understand that I'm sensitive to that. But I also know that the people that I work with, Adriana, and the people that you work with, it's like, you got to know, like, this is important. But again, underscore. I'll just underscore, you should be talking about this as early as possible with your client, because it is possible to recoup some of this expense if at least you help your clients to understand and be aware of it.
1: Great. So you've given us the the gateway, the midway. And then <laughs> we say relativity. relativity is really, if you're David up against Goliath and you also have a client with a lot of money and you really want the the Cadillac of mm-hmm. eDiscovery discovery software, you're going to call up Relativity. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something called Relativity One. Is that mm-hmm. something that they're gearing toward solo smalls or-
0: more so than not Adriana okay. so it's something that they've been working on for a long time because they have always been server based and they continue yeah. to be server based and a lot of firms still have them but rail one or relativity one is something they've been working on for several years and it really is very cool and it's really it's it's very obvious that's where they're putting all their resources in mm-hmm. right now because they understand that that's the future for what they're doing so you could even if you have a service provider or somebody else doing this and I'll just quickly say even for some small firms or mid-sized firms Adriana that they may have something like NextPoint or or logical in place for the vast majority of their cases, if it's exactly the way you just described they got one bet the firm case, right? Or a huge case that they're mm-hmm. dealing with. In that instance, they may be using something like relativity or they may be using something that, uh, you know, that that a service provider to help them deal with that. So you, you, you're you not locked in necessarily, right? You can use multiple tools when you need oh, to. Oh,
1: I was going to ask you that. So you can certainly move your data from one place to another as the, the existence of the case changes. Yeah. Okay. And then one more thing, these third service providers, you're just talking about consultants that someone could hire. You're one of them. You're at Bernie, B-U-R-N-E-Y consultants.com. And then I guess that's it, right? It's, it's back to the, the competency rules, which is if you don't understand it, you need to hire somebody that does. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, this, out, you know, California is the only state so far that has issued an e-discovery ethics specific opinion. Mm-hmm. No other states issued this, it's always but, California. but yeah, I know, I know. And it, but this one's good. <laughs> not that any other Californians are bad, but this one's really good because it says exactly what you said. It's like, if you've got e-discovery and you're not comfortable with it, you've got three options, right? You can get comfortable, find somebody to help you that's comfortable with it or decline the representation. Like it really is that easy. And so many, there's been a lot of case law re- that has referenced that e-discovery ethics opinion because, I mean, that's true really for anything, I think, I you just know, most say, of the time. It's so.
1: dumb that yeah. you even have to say that out loud, that a committee had to get together to put down. Right. <laughs> like, Jesus. Yes. Okay. Um, well, Brett, you have spent a lot of time with us and giving us just so much valuable information. Thank you so much. Tell everyone how they can find, friend, follow you, contact you, hire you, and listen to your podcast. What's the name of it?
0: Um, in yeah. the News? In the News. Wow, thank you, Adriana. Yeah, In the News. Yeah, we do that every Friday. Um, you're you're welcome to go to uh, to my website, bernieconsultants.com, and you can look look that up. Um, as I mentioned, and you've been kind to let me mention, I, I work with Next Point quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I do a lot of blog posts on the Next Point blog. In fact, I just got through doing a post on like why Outlook is not a good review tool. Oh, and, good. And another one quickly on this, you know, even with, we were talking about the PDFs, just, you know, a single PDF that is produced to you, but it doesn't have any bookmarks. Like it, you can't tell where, mm-hmm. you know, there's multiple documents in it, but it's just one PDF. Now, you know, we, we, we talk about that. So just to give you a flavor of some of the things that I talk about, so you can certainly find me at nextpoint.com as well.
1: That's great. Cause one of the things I was going to ask you, it's on my notes, but I just forgot was resources <laughs> for learning yeah. about this basic stuff. So next yeah. blog would be good. Yes. Well, and You know how big I am on pricing, so um, just so that you don't get um, barraged by free questions and calls, (laughs) can you give us an idea of what it costs to hire Brett Burney or your peers? I know there's other Brett Burneys out there, but again, just ballpark. Like, Look, I charge $350 for doing uh, group training sessions and $250 an hour for consulting. That's me, but can you give us kind of ballpark of how- I, we would work with a third party consultant in the e-discovery world.
0: Yeah. It's uh, that almost the exact same numbers, Adriana. I've, oh, yeah. I, I, I've always appreciated the fact that you're so transparent, but that's, that's almost where I am. Sometimes I'll do, you know, just like you, I'm sure. Like if, if, if it's something that you want to retain me for a day, but I find still most of the time people are comfortable with per hour mm-hmm. rates. You know, when I do consulting, whether that's with the law firm or, or going in and working with, with a, with a, with a company on there. But uh, you know, a lot of times I'll even offer flat rates for training, that kind of a stuff on there. Great. And it's great. I, I usually come in on the pure consulting side, but because I know so many of these other companies involved, you know, if I come in and I can assess maybe your firm, like, do you need to hire somebody to do this full time? Do you need to use a different tool or, you know, migrate from a different tool? I can give you all those names and you know, other people that can host this kind of information, this data for you uh, and do it. So I do a lot of like litigation support assessments in that, in that aspect.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Litigation support assessments. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, Adriana, one, one other resource I wanted to mention to you real quick is uh, an, another person <laughs> that's in New Orleans, a good friend of both of ours, right, is Tom O'Connor. Tom O'Connor is another independent e-discovery consultant. He's been, he's been around for many, many years. And I just want to bring it up because I know that he wrote an excellent book and he's had it. He sells it on his website. It's called e-discovery for the rest of us. <laughs> So it's, uh, Tom, you know, Tom, he's worked with many, many midsize and small firms as well. And he and I really nerd out on this kind of stuff together. Uh, his website is gulfltc.org. Uh, Gulf is in the Gulf of Mexico, g u l f l t corg gulfltc.org. So anyway, just, I wanted to throw that out because that's an excellent book. It's for folks that, you know, may just want like, how do I get up to speed a little bit more other than listening to this podcast, of course, but the book is e-discovery for the rest of us. And it's Tom O'Connor. I recognize e-discovery is just a tiny bit of an overall litigation matter, right? Most litigators have been doing this for years. They've got so many other balls that they're juggling in the air. Like e-discovery is just like, that's just one little thing. And I I understand that. But when it comes up, because it usually is the most expensive aspect of litigation, mm. when it comes up, how do you as a firm uh, deal with it? And number two, how do you stay competitive with it, right? Because if never. you're not handling some of this, the other people in your you know, in in, in your general uh, region are definitely going to be handling some of this at some point. So, do you want to be a leader in this, or do you, or do you just want to like, you know, hope it goes away sometime? Which is not going to.
1: It's never going. It's only getting worse. This That's beast right. is only getting bigger. <laughs> um. Well, Brett, thank you again so much. This has been great, and uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Brett is always this enthusiastic by the way. Always this. To a fault. Kind <laughs> and excitable. And when we say this is a person who's passionate about their job, it's definitely Brett Bernie. So thanks again, Brett. Thanks, My everyone. Pleasure. Oh, and don't forget, keep an eye out on future episodes because we've scheduled a recording for our Apple attorney, Apple user, mm-hmm. Mac specialist. There is a right click on the Mac episode for um, late in the summer and it'll be uh, <sighs> Brett and Jeff. Make sure you ch- check out Jeff's blog, too. It's actually yeah. been Rich resource of information for attorneys using um, iPads and Macs and yeah. iPhones for years. All right, everyone, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the next episode of New Solo. I've been running from nine to five, been biting my tongue for all this time. Won't let anyone clock me short.
0: Today's legal news is rarely as straightforward as the headlines that accompany them. On Lawyer to Lawyer, we provide the legal perspective you need to better understand the current events that shape our society. Join me, Craig Williams, and a wide variety of industry experts as we break down the top stories. Follow Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network or wherever you subscribe to podcasts.